Hello and welcome to the Skeleton Factory Podcast, episode 28. I am Adam, coming to you from Austin, Texas, and today I will be taking a look at two films. The first is 2022's You Are Not My Mother, directed by Kate Dolan, and 1986's Reform School Girls, directed by Tom DeSimone and starring... The legendary Wendy O. Williams of the Plasmatics fame. But first, what has been going on with me? Oh, God, I'm going to unzip my track jacket. It's a good look I'm going with today. Track jacket, no shirt, hat, shorts, no shoes or socks. Drinking coffee. It's my day off. I I can dress how I want. I'm an I'm an adult. Mm-hmm. Also, um, yesterday, myself and the gentleman at the Iconoblast podcast, Mr. Matt Cooper and Joel Benner, we went out to Dallas, and we went to um. We went out to a wrestling show through the company GCW, and we saw Josh Barnett's Bloodsport 8. And if you don't know who Josh Barnett is, you could, uh, well, he's been, uh, he's on the most recent uh, episode of Joe Rogan, actually, if you've heard of Joe Rogan. Uh, Joe Rogan is a podcaster who lives in Austin. And uh, he also does stand-up comedy. And he owns a company that makes kettlebells that looks like monkeys. Check him out. He's <laughs> Anyways, uh, Josh Barnett, uh, he was and uh, still, well, still is a professional mixed martial artist. I became aware of him years ago when he was still fighting for... Uh, Oh my God, I guess it was the Japanese uh, company Pride, and Pride was kind of, uh, it was was a huge mixed martial arts uh, company out in Japan, and Josh Barnett, I I first saw him there, and then he ended up going to Strike Force, and it was, uh, he fought at heavyweight, if you watch MMA at all. And his fight with Daniel Cormier, which he he lost, but and I had Josh on, in that fight. I was at that point already a big Josh Barnett fan, and um, he lost to Daniel Cormier. But I don't think it's <laughs> there's no shame in losing to Daniel Cormier in his prime. So uh, that's when Daniel Cormier first got on my radar, and I was like, wow, that, that guy's really fucking good. And then he went to the UFC and he became fucking champ, champ, and. But uh, yeah, Josh Barnett, he's he's like like a modern day Renaissance man. Like he's a very interesting dude. He's um, he's uh, he's done pro wrestling all over the world. He's done MMA all over the world. He's uh, and he's kind of a giant nerd too. 
literally. <laughs> He's a huge guy and um, very much into metal music, very much into anime, Dungeons and Dragons, that type of shit. And, uh, yeah, he's got his own organization. It's If you watch or have watched uh, pro wrestling, you know, if you currently watch, like, WWE or AEW or back in the day, WWF or WCW or ECW or New Japan Pro Wrestling or anything like that, um, yeah, Josh was definitely... Um, in the mix kind of throughout a really long career, actually (laughs) like that dude has been pro wrestling and doing MMA longer than your typical wrestler or MMA fighter. So it's pretty impressive that his, his body's held up this long and yeah, Josh Barnett's blood sport. This was the eighth one and it's, it's interesting. It's sort of a hybrid of pro wrestling Mixed martial arts. Um, if if you're familiar with Pancrase, which was it was sort of like pre what people would know as mixed martial arts. Now it was it was a type of fighting that was done in a ring instead of a cage, and it was similar to MMA, but you couldn't throw like closed fist punches. You can only throw palm strikes, but you can kick. You could do um, a lot of grappling, submissions, things like that. And so, yeah, the, the, the blood sport rules are there's no ropes. So you're not going to see, like, dudes bouncing off the ropes. You're not going to see any, like, dudes coming off the top rope and doing kind of, like, more acrobatic moves. So it, everything is very, like, mat wrestling, a lot of, like, chain wrestling catch-as-catch-can type of stuff, but it's definitely uh, fun to watch, and it's pretty it's pretty stiff. Like, like the, they go pretty damn hard, and they got fucking great lineup, too. Um, let's see. We got to... <laughs> I love, the show was also in this, like, part of South Dallas, and it was kind of in this, like, shady fucking neighborhood, so I kind of thought that that added to how fucking cool it was. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, if, if you're familiar with, uh, if you're familiar with, uh, John Moxley, John Moxley was, uh, he was in WWE for a while. He was known as Dean Ambrose and he was in a group called the shield. And that was, uh, Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins. And then they all split off and became like, had their own, uh, kind of like singles, careers after that and then John Mock uh Dean Ambrose went to AEW and then he kind of bounced around and now he's um doing shit for fucking Josh Barnett and it's it was fucking cool to see him I was I was actually kind of starstruck when I saw him and his match was fucking cool it was bloody as hell uh it was fucking great and um and uh I was there with I was there with Joel from Iconoblast and and Coop from uh, Iconoblast, and we got access, like, backstage and shit, so that was fucking cool. You know, I've never been backstage at a fucking wrestling show before, so that was kind of rad, and uh, I was really starstruck. I, <laughs> it was, like, it was like, after the show was over, um, the and we were standing in the back, and I'm sitting there talking with Coop, and who walks in but... 
uh, a wrestler by the name of X-Pac. If you, if you watched wrestling back in the day and you remember Degeneration X from WWF, if you remember uh, the NWO, the New World Order uh, from WCW, like he was in, X-Pac was in both of those groups. Like he was, he was all over the place in the 90s, early 2000s when it came to pro wrestling. That dude was everywhere. And he, like, just was in the backstage area, and I was kind of fucking starstruck. I was like, fucking X-Pac, no shit. Um, I didn't, like, go bother him or fucking mark out on him, but I thought that was pretty cool that he was fucking there. And he looked good. Like, that dude looked like, you know, he fucking looked fit and looked like fucking, uh, he could fucking headline a show, like, right now. So, um, and then I, I, I had the pleasure of meeting Josh Barnett, Super nice guy. He was very generous with his time. Uh, he was very generous with his time. My God, that dude must have talked to fucking 50 people while we were, like, backstage. Like, all these people coming up, paying the respects, saying what's up and shit. And he was just very generous with his time, very engaging. This is, like, while he's, like, stripping off all his fucking, like, ring gear and shit. He's, <laughs> like, getting changed. And, yeah, um, he, you know, we... Uh, we we sat and chopped it up with him uh, for a sec, and uh, he took a picture with me. <laughs> and uh, we actually managed to get a lovely poster from the show, Josh Barnett's Blood Sport number eight. And, of course, Josh is on it and everyone else who was on the card that evening. And... um. Almost everyone on, well, not everybody, but most of the people on the poster signed this poster. So that was a very cool get. I definitely recommend uh, checking out Josh Barnett's Bloodsport. Um, it's pay-per-view, so look it up and and pay for it. Try not to steal it. I know people are just used to just getting free shit off the internet, but this is like an indie promotion. And, I mean... It's it's like just cough up the money if you want to watch the fucking pay per view because it is it's definitely worth it. Or if they're in your neighborhood, go see them. It's like it's fucking if you've never seen pro wrestling live, it's really fucking fun. So it's worth going. Um, and I've seen a lot of people converted people who are just like not into pro wrestling or they think it's stupid or whatever. And then they go see it live and they're like, oh wow, that's pretty fucking fucking awesome. I'm like, yeah, it is. You. F- Fucking piece of shit. Of course it is. It's wrestling. It's fun. But uh, yeah, GCW. Yeah, they're doing some good stuff. They're it's a it's cool to see indie promotions. Uh, and when I was living in California, there's there was a bunch of fucking indie promotions. So if you kept your ear to the ground and you know you would see flyers for local promotions, they would bring in like one or two big stars to you know be on a show and pretty fucking cool if you're into if you're into like ecw back in the day this is like for wrestling nerds so it's like anyone who doesn't fucking know what i'm talking about like just bear with me if anyone who's ever watched ecw which uh they kind of invented like wrestling matches where motherfuckers hitting each other with chairs and barbed wire and setting each other on fire and stuff like that and uh there was a guy named the sandman 
and I went to uh, an indie show in San Francisco at the uh, Kizar Stadium in San Francisco, and um, Sandman was headlining. He was doing a cage match against some local dude who was... It was fucking great. It was like a full-on hardcore match. Tons of weapons. It was uh, it was fun. And then we got to meet Sandman immediately afterwards. And then uh, all the wrestlers went across the street to the Kizar Pub. And we're all at the bar. So that was pretty fucking cool. And um, mm, there's a bunch of shows like that. I, met, I went to a show where the fucking Tonga Kid was there and shit like that. But it was... Anyway... Uh, yeah, check it out. GCW, Josh Barnett's bar, uh, Bloodsport. It's pretty fun. And, uh, thanks to, uh, thanks for, uh, fucking, uh, Matt and Joel for taking me to that. They, uh, fucking Coop did all the driving. <laughs> I offered. But, uh, yeah, he drove us all the way the fucking three plus hours to Dallas and then drove us back. Fucking Joel got us on the on the guest list, so much appreciated, guys. That was that was fun. We got to do that again sometime. Yeah, and then uh, <laughs> if you guys are into like if you're into wrestling at all, this is kind of this is one the last thing I'm gonna bring up about wrestling. But uh, uh, what was it? I saw well, like I said, I saw fucking X Pac. Uh, he goes by a lot. He go he went by a lot of names. He was the fucking if you're like. Old as fuck, like I am. You remember as like him as the Lightning Kid, if you were reading like fucking Pro Wrestling Illustrated back in the day, or then he became the One Two Three Kid when he came to fucking WWF, and then he kind of like made a uh, made a name for himself because he fucking beat Razor Ramon, and then he was eventually in Degeneration X, and then he went to fucking WCW and was in the NWO. But the through line there is like X Pac is like like kind of famously um, friends with Scott Hall, also known as Razor Ramon, who passed away recently. And from my childhood, that 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 hurt, that bummed me out. And you got it's like I'm at an age now. It's like all all your kind of childhood heroes are uh, getting old and dying and shit. They the whole thing with Bruce Willis. Um, recently and, you know, and then fucking Scott Hall died and I was like, that sucks, dude. And, but like, yeah, X-Pac and fucking Scott Hall were like homies forever and shit. And I fucking, uh, X-Pac actually has like a wrestling podcast called, uh, it's called, uh, the 12 360 podcast. And I was watching an episode from 2018 this morning and it's episode 70 and it was him basically doing a, uh, a zoom call with the, uh, uh, Scott Hall. And it was just them kind of fucking trading stories from the road. Um, and talking wrestling and shit. And it was, it was fucking, it was cool. It was cool. So if you, if you want, to, <laughs> there's a lot of really good like wrestling podcasts out there. If you're into that shit, but uh, yeah, uh, Xbox is uh, is pretty decent too. He gets some pretty uh, pretty good guests on there. Uh, what else is going on? Oh, I just uh, got a copy of the Last Testament of Anton Sandor Levey, written by Boyd Rice. 
edited by Whale Song Partridge. And I'm, I've been, when did this come out? This came out fairly recently, came out in the past couple of years, but um, I finally got a copy of it. And Boyd Rice is, if you don't know who he is, he's, he's considered like the godfather of noise music. And he had a group called Non, he had a, he did collaborations with uh, the band Death in June. I'm a big Death in June fan. And especially back in the, I don't know, probably between 2006 to about maybe 2013, something like that. Um, yeah, I, I I was listening to pretty much mostly experimental music and uh, and noise music and shit like that. And uh, Boyd Rice, yeah, I was listening to a lot of non. I was listening, uh, you know, uh, God, what was I? I was listening to a lot, like a lot of fucking Wolf Eyes and Sword Heaven and Mersbow and shit like that. And uh, yeah, so. And then I've watched like a million interviews with him and stuff like that. And I just found him to be a pretty interesting guy. And then I uh, I bought his I bought his uh, book before this one. It's just called No. And that book's interesting, but I I really like how this one is set up. It's very like if you if you um, if you've ever read any books from the publishing company Feral House, they did. Lords of Chaos, which is probably their most well-known book. Lords of Chaos, um, it, it's a lot of it is about the Norwegian black metal scene in the '90s, and um, the book is actually kind of all over the place. And the more you kind of look into that music scene, you can kind of the the book is actually there's kind of you know the 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 facts in the book are. Uh, a little questionable, <laughs> but I mean, when I first read it in like 2003, 2004 or whatever, when I read it, like it was really fascinating to me. Cause I was like total metalhead dirtbag dude. And it was, it was good reading. It was something to, when you're young and broke, listen, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're young and broke, read books, read books. Because it'll keep you out of trouble. If you're reading a book quietly, alone, like in a park, by the beach, near a river, fucking sitting on your patio, sitting at home, whatever, like, read a fucking book and it'll, it'll, if you spend like an hour, maybe two, reading a book, you know, every day, every other day, whatever, like, it'll keep you from fucking, I don't know. Adopting a horrible cocaine problem, for instance, <laughs> or fucking out partying with people you maybe shouldn't be partying with, you know, it's, and you learn shit, you know what I mean? Like you learn shit. And I watch a lot of movies cause this is a, you know, this is a movie podcast and everything, but I will say there's, um, if you're really into a, a book, you'll remember it better than like a movie that you hate. 
Because I've seen good movies, and then I go back and watch them again, and I'm like, oh, I don't remember this part or whatever. But movies I don't like, I will remember perfectly because I'm just so pissed off <laughs> the movie sucks. But, fuck, a good book, like, that shit just sticks in my memory. So, um. Speaking to the layout in this book, this reminds me a lot of like how Feral House's books are, like Lords of Chaos. <clears throat> Excuse me. There was one called Lexicon Devil. It was a story of Darby Crash, who was the lead singer of uh, the punk band The Germs. Uh, somebody actually got that book stolen. Uh, that's a that's a shame. Um, There's also one a friend gave me uh, called Choosing Death, and it's about a uh, Death metal, grindcore, like the early kind of thrash metal underground shit. And it's a good book, but I just, I don't know. It's it's not like my favorite thing that Feral House has put out. But they put out interesting shit. And uh, this is actually not a Feral House book. This is from uh, Hierarchy Books. But this and, like... I don't know. I, I'm I'm considering just doing some recordings of just me reading this book because <laughs> um, I just I just started reading it and I I like it. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's not a terribly long read or anything like that. And it's got cool pictures if you like books with pictures in it. Because I do. Because my attention span sucks and. And I'm five years old, apparently, so I need to have pictures in my books. But I read the uh, the introduction the other night before I went to bed, and I was like, "Wow, that's that is that is a like I didn't like I did I had to go to bed, but I wanted to stay up and read it. I was like, "Wow, that was a, that was a good introduction to this book. I really want to get into it." And um, yeah, and if you if if you don't know much about who Anton LaVey uh, was or the Church of Satan or whatever, there's a, there's a lot of good information out there, you know. it's um, He's always been kind of like this boogeyman character who the more you look into him, the less um, terrifying he is, you know. He was just kind of an eccentric dude. Um, that was... Uh, he was kind of well-known at a time where you think there would be more, like he wouldn't be the most uh, eccentric person running around, but like the more you kind of read about his life, you're just like fucking, he, like people were pretty fucking square back in the day. So I, I can see why people gravitated towards him. He was quite the showman. But yeah, so, so far, um, The Last Testament of Anton Sander LaVey, by Boyd Rice is so far a pretty interesting read. And um, yeah, if you're looking for something, if you're looking for a new book, I'd say check it out. And um, as I go along reading it, I'll give you uh, I'll give you some updates on how the book is going. And if it goes good, I'll let you know. And if it goes bad, I'll let you know. <laughs> Okay, so let's get into the movies. The company Vinegar Syndrome announced 
a little while back that they were going to be doing a newly scanned and restored 2K from its original 35mm interpositive of Reform School Girls on Blu-ray. And I was very excited about that. I'm actually looking at it right now. Just looking at the artwork and the case and everything. And, yeah, it's got a nice slip cover. It's got some cool artwork. Um, the Blu-ray looks great. It's got some kind of interesting special features. But, yeah, um, Reform School Girls, God, um, I think I probably, oh, my God, when did I first see this? I probably saw it in, I want to say the early 2000s. Because I first became aware of, well, I first became aware of Wendy O. Williams, who is who has top billing in the film. Uh, she kind of plays the one of the uh, antagonists in the film. But, uh, yeah, I first became aware of Wendy O. Williams probably in 1995? Something like that. I was at the Manteca Public Library in my hometown of Manteca, California. And I was going through all these like mu- like music books, like books about uh, biographies about musicians. And I found a book called This Ain't No Disco. And this, uh, this Ain't No Disco was about the club in New York City uh, called CBGB's, which is not, I don't believe is in existence anymore, but it was like a rock and roll club. And uh, it was basically the history of the place. It was about the, you know, how the place started and then how it transitioned to the the punk era and all the famous bands that kind of started there and kind of made their name there, like the Ramones and talking heads and blondie and and there's a whole there's there's some sections in there about this band called the plasmatics and their lead singer wendy o williams and i'm flipping through and there's a photo it's like a full page photo of wendy o williams and it's black and white and i remember i remember the photo very well it's her on stage like her hands on her hips and she has like a blonde mohawk and she's wearing a t-shirt with the breasts the breast part of the shirt cut out and her tits are out and she has like electrical tape over her nipples and i was like what is this band <laughs> who is this person and what is this band that's and and then but but the name plasmatics stuck in my head. So eventually I heard the plasmatics and I was like, it was it was interesting. It was that it was it was in this weird part of the '90s where, um, like female vocalists. There was a lot of band. I was into a lot of bands that had really good female vocalists, and uh, there were a lot. There was especially like punk bands. And like, you know, like rock bands and shit. Like so, uh, like Naked Aggression. Naked Aggression's a 
really fun punk band from, uh, I believe they're from LA. And I mean, they've been around for a fucking while, but if you, if you look up naked aggression, I'm sure on, on whatever, uh, whatever service you get your, um, your music, you'll find, um, naked aggression. Let's see. Um, yeah, I heard of Naked Aggression. I think the first thing I heard them on was, like, back in the day, you would get, like, compilation, like, albums. They're usually on CD, sometimes on tape, and it would be from, like, some indie label or some, like, little punk label, and they would put a bunch of the bands on their roster on one album, so you could, like, buy the thing, and then you can hear a bunch of bands from that, from that label, and I think that's the first place I've ever heard Naked Aggression was on a, like a compilation album. It might have been just like a mixtape somebody made me. But I remember hearing it and was like, that sounds pretty fucking cool. And then when I started getting into collecting records, I came across their album uh, called Bitter Youth. And I may, I may actually still have that album somewhere. I did liquidate a lot of my uh, vinyl collection, but I might still have Naked Aggression's Bitter Youth, and that's a fucking great album. If you're like, if you collect vinyl or whatever, and you're able to find a copy of Naked Aggression's Bitter Youth, like just buy it. Um, I don't know how much it'll cost or whatever, but it's a great fucking album. I, I had many, many a. Uh, Many a party <laughs> with listening to fucking Naked Aggression. That seems so quaint and whatever now that I think about it. Because I'd have people come over to the house and we would just listen to music. Like, I'd pull out a stack of fucking records and seven inches and shit, and then they would bring shit over, and then we would just take turns putting shit on the turntable and just fucking drinking and smoking weed and just laughing and fucking hanging out and shit and... What else was really big? Oh, my God. Like, uh, the Blatz from Berkeley. Uh, the Blatz was... They had, like, three singers. It was fucking ridiculous. <laughs> they had, like, two female singers and a guy singer. and um, But they had fucking really fun, fucking nasty, dirty punk rock songs that were fucking really catchy and pretty fucking sweet and shit. And then... Uh, I don't know. What else was I listening to? Like L7. <laughs> and then the plasmatics came around and it had a different energy to it. Like not just the music, but then their visual presentation, their live performances and stuff are just, just ridiculous. And I really appreciate showmanship. So yeah, if you haven't heard of the plasmatics, I would definitely say check them out. Um, there's, let me see, where could somebody just jump in? I would say maybe there's an album called Coup d'etat and that is a very, very good album. Um, there's a lot of like, a lot of kind of hits on that, uh, album. And, um, actually I have a vinyl copy of Coup d'etat. Yeah. The plasmatics, they had a, they had a pretty good run. They did a few albums, and then Wendy O. Williams went out on her own and did a few albums just solo. She was she teamed up with um, Gene Simmons from Kiss, and then they did a bunch of stuff, and they did a bunch of uh, songs. Uh, 
uh, for the soundtrack of Reform School Girls. So Reform School Girls also has a very cool soundtrack. And uh, it's got a bunch of Wendy o. Williams songs. It's got um, this band called Girl School. It's a pretty fun uh, soundtrack. And if you can find that on vinyl, fucking buy that. That's if you like listening to fucking soundtracks. Anyways, let me get into the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, Reform School Girls. Um, yeah, if you go to Vinegar Syndrome, you can probably pick up a copy of their new Blu-ray. It's very nice, but um, you know, but you can if you you know if you're cheap and you just want to watch it for free. You could probably find it on like YouTube or fucking some streaming service where you have to watch ads, but you can you can watch it. Yes, it was uh, directed by a gentleman named Tom DeSimone, and it's brought to us by the good people at Roger Corman's New World Pictures. And in the proud tradition of women in prison films, which is not really a genre anymore, but uh, it's sort of a type of exploitation film genre that's really not around anymore. It's kind of like cannibal films. Like, not a lot of cannibal jungle films anymore, but, you know, if you're into, like, Switchblade Sisters, I definitely recommend Switchblade Sisters. That's more of a... That's more of, like... Girl gang, love triangle. Um, there's some women in prison stuff in there. That's a really good movie. I definitely recommend uh, Switchblade Sisters um, and, or the or the films of Jack Hill. If you look up Jack Hill, like he's done. Um, I don't want to say all the women in prison films, but he's done a bunch of like women in prison, but. Uh, and other types of exploitation films. Um, he's done black exploitation. Like Jack Hill's kind of probably the best known for the quote unquote women in prison genre, even though there's, there's been women in prison movies since like the fifties, you know, and reform school girls is sort of a, it, it was in the late eighties, but it's sort of more of, it's almost like a parody of that. Cause Old school women in prison films were a little more serious in tone, and Reform School Girls is very tongue in cheek. It's got more of an exploitation spin on things. Like, for instance, there's a lot of nudity, there's a lot of scantily clad women, shower scenes, things like that. Um, a lot of sexual innuendo and. But it, but in like the in the best type of way, like they're like it's not like like creepy dudes skeezing out on young chicks or anything like that, even though there's a little bit of that, but most of the cast is women. I think there's like, there's like three men in the entire movie. Really? Well, there's more than that, but ones with actually like speaking roles and, and those men are barely in the fucking movie. So it's, it's primarily women. So, so if you're worried about the film having some sort of like, you know, patriarchal, Warden, like Shawshank Redemption, who just looms over the prisoners. 
is like um, a pervert or something. There's none of there's none of that shit. Um, there's definitely perverse things that go on, but it's usually woman on woman, which is an interesting. It's an interesting dynamic. It's refreshing, really, to watch. <laughs> Let me see if you've seen <clears throat> if you ever seen the 1983 film Bad Boys starring Sean Penn. Again, 1983, not the Bad Boys starring Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. But, um, Bad Boys from '83 is basically like uh, a juvenile detention facility and sort of the kind of like uh, the political struggle that takes place inside of places like that. You know, the violence, drugs, um, people not being able to deal with being locked up and things like that. It's, it's, it's like a prison film, but with children basically. And uh, it's really good. It's really good. I definitely recommend it. Um, and Reform School Girls is sort of in that same vein. It's definitely a couple of, there's quite a few layers of um, tongue-in-cheek campiness to Reform School Girls, but that really adds to its charm and kind of trashiness. But it's delightful. So the film starts with uh, a Wendy O. Williams song entitled Reform School Girls. So that's perfect. Again, great soundtrack. Great soundtrack. It's it really this movie is kind of a total package in terms of like the type of movie that it is. Like it's got good music, it's got interesting characters, the stories like it's not too serious. It's not too goofy, but it's fun and it keeps a nice pace. Like you don't you don't really get bored watching Reform School Girls. Um, also, Wendy Williams, uh, again, like when the movie starts, like she gets top billing. It's like Reform School Girls starring Wendy Williams and stuff, even though she's the lead protagonist. So, but, um, well, antagonist, really. The lead protagonist is this girl named uh, Jenny. And in the beginning of the movie, um, Jenny gets sent to the uh, Pridemore Juvenile Facility. It's a reform school for girls. Uh, and she's there because in the beginning of the film, she gets caught up in this armed robbery with some dude. You just assume it's her boyfriend. She's supposed to be like a getaway driver. He performs some type of armed robbery. And while trying to escape, a shootout takes place. And her boyfriend gets killed and he ends up killing a guard in a shootout, and then she ends up crashing the car and getting caught. And since she's a minor, and she's and it's her first offense, instead of sending her to jail and charging her as an adult, they send her to reform school. So it's juvie. So yeah, she uh, she gets in there, and they go through the whole like we, we are in prison movie cliches, right? So person gets in there and they're being processed and they go through the whole like all right strip your clothes down get naked in this movie it's like they it's like get naked and then you get to watch a lot of naked women and um 
they get naked, they have to shower, and then right when you're like, okay, this is is this is this going to be like a trashy movie where it's just an excuse to look at naked women? Then they cut to a next scene where the women are they're naked still, but they're being sprayed down with uh, DDT, <laughs> which I I believe is a some type of delousing chemical that is. Uh, not healthy for humans let's just put it that way it's it's basically poison and they're spraying down the girls with ddt and you know the 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 orderly i don't even know what you would call them the the guard the orderly whatever at the uh at the prison and all the all the guards are women too they're like spraying them down with fucking ddt and like Make sure you spread your cheeks wide, girls. We want to make sure the DDT gets everywhere. <laughs> oh, God. And then they go through the whole, like, uh, well, actually, they, they get their prison clothes, and then they have to go see the uh, the kind of the in-house psychologist. So we have the character of Dr. Norton, and Dr. Norton is... She's the nice lady at the facility, right? They have to establish that everyone at this this juvenile detention facility is a completely uh, crooked, disgusting human being. But, like, Dr. Norton is the one person there that's trying to help the girls sort out what they're going through and, you know, uh, make their stay there feel not quite as bad and and whatnot and it's it's that character is in every one of these types of movies of like especially like women in prison movies you have to have like the one person that works at the jail or the prison or the reform school or the juvenile detention facility that one like in-house psych psychiatric person that's there to kind of help the girls along because it's a good way of getting exposition about each individual girl, like what is their backstory and them airing their grievances about what's going or what's going on in, in the jail, you know, whether if they're being harassed or beaten up and they're getting their shit stolen, they're getting fucking raped in the shower, whatever fuck. Like this is that character that they air their grievances to because they can't go to the head warden. They can't, they can't, talk to anybody. This is like the only person that they can talk to. So that's who Dr. Norton is. And our, our lead character, Jenny, she gets in there and she opens up about like her backstory where she doesn't have a relationship with her parents. She's, she was basically like, um, I think the only person that's still technically her guardian, I think I'm remembering this correct, uh, is that, it was her father, but she doesn't talk to her father anymore and they don't have a relationship and, um, he probably molested her. So it, it's a whole fucking thing where she's fundamentally like she's basically a good person, but because she had to kind of go out on her own and fend for herself, she fell in with kind of a bad crowd. Like, obviously she got a boyfriend and the boyfriend 
thought that a really good way of earning money would be to uh, rob a place at gunpoint. And we see where that got him. He's fucking dead. And now she's, she's incarcerated. So, but she's not beyond reaching. You know what I mean? Like she doesn't want to be here, but she also is like pretty street smart. Like she's got a good head on her shoulders and she's not a malicious person. So you can, you can get behind Jenny. She's sort of the, uh, the Andy Dufresne of, of this story. And we get introduced to also when people are getting processed through jail into, you know, where in, in these types of movies, it's a really good way of introducing a fuckload of characters in like, a, like just a small handful of scenes because everyone that they're, that's ultimately going to be affecting the story later. Like you can just introduce everyone Right at the beginning. So you have Miss Edna Dawson. Miss Edna Dawson, better known as Edna or Eddie, uh, is the head matron of Pridemore. And she is a horrible, uh, disgusting woman. <laughs> She's this big, mean woman who's a, a total perv and you can tell she really gets off on making sure that all of the teenage girls in this facility are miserable and fearful at all times. That's kind of her deal. And, um, and Edna and Edna is played by, uh, this actress, uh, Pat asked, and she sounds exactly like Divine. If you've, if you're familiar with Divine, if you ever watch, you know any of John Waters' early films, Pink Flamingos, Female Trouble, Polyester, like their voice is very, very similar. And, um, and coincidentally, uh, Divine and Pat Ass um, were cast as a uh, kind of a head matron role, kind of a head matron tyrant role on this off-Broadway production of Women Behind Bars, which is very similar in story to Reform School Girls. You know, it was a it was a play. So the so the role that Pat asked was playing in the in the form of Edna. She she's actually has experience playing on stage. And that's pretty cool connection I found. And God, this movie—I mean, Pat Ast does a really good job as a character of Edna. Like she is fucking despicable and really over the top. Like really hams it up. Um, but I—I I, fuck. I, I can only imagine if Divine was in this movie. I think that would kick it up to an, another level. Edna is, uh, let's see, what is Edna? Edna is like a really abusive, pervy lesbian on a power trip who's got a thing for teenage girls. I mean, it's one of the, okay, also, it needs to be pointed out that all the uh, quote-unquote girls in this movie are like clearly in their 20s. Like, no one looks like, a teenage girl. <laughs> like everyone looks like 
a hot chick that would be in a fucking like Motley Crue music video or some shit. So everyone's got big hair. Everyone's <laughs> hold on. Let me. I'll get to that. Okay. Uh, so, um, once in the actual dormitory, so once they get fucking showered down and stripped of all their possessions, and sprayed with DDT, and go to the psychiatrist, and then they have to go meet Edna, who it's like, like, you better keep your nose clean in here because there's harsh punishments if you fuck with me. But if you want to be, uh, if you want to be uh, nice to me, if you know what I mean, you can come to my office and we can work something out if you want some uh, extra privileges, if you know what I'm saying. And so it's, it's very creepy. So once they're actually uh, all the, the girls are Jenny and all the other like new prisoners are brought in, they go to the main dormitory. And this is like, one of the best scenes in the movie. So they, they get to the dormitory and they, the double doors open and it's all these beds, these bunk beds in this huge room. And it's just filled with eighties chicks with big hair who are like hot and tan. And they're wearing like fucking lingerie and high waisted thongs and shit. It's fucking great. And, uh, it's there when they actually get their bunks, their assigned bunks. And, oh, yeah, and, of course, they have the whole thing where, like, oh, new fish are here, and all the prisoners got to yell shit at whoever's fucking new to the prison, right? So all the girls, since it's women, and they're all in one room together, all the girls are, like, throwing fucking panties at the fucking girls and cat calling them and all this shit and... Jenny and uh, this other girl named Lisa, who's like this little uh, mousy girl that also got locked up. Uh, they have, you know, her and Jenny are bunked right next to each other, and that and that is where we are introduced to the character of Charlie. And Charlie is played by Wendy O. Williams. And one thing I found really great about that is, is that Wendy O. Williams is, uh. Like, everyone's issued, like, prison clothes and shit, but, like, all the girls are wearing, like, fucking lace lingerie and have big hair and makeup and <laughs> dangly earrings and spike bracelets and knee-high boots and shit. <laughs> so we're introduced to Charlie, and, and it's Wendy Williams, and she's, like, reading... I think she's reading, like, a porn magazine. She's in her bunk, and she's, like, curling a dumbbell, and she's wearing, like, a thong... Knee-high leather boots and, like, a leather bra. <laughs> and she's not in costume. Like, she's just, like, Wendy o. Williams. <laughs> also, Wendy o. Williams, uh, I did some quick math. Wendy o. Williams, in when they were shooting this, was 37 years old. Okay? This is in 1986. So, so this, like teenage reformatory and like <laughs> like the main bad bitch who runs the place and has like this sexual quid pro quo relationship with Edna uh, is this 37 but we're just supposed to believe that she's like 17 or something <laughs> so so I love shit like that because you just have to like when, like once you notice it you just have to like look past it and just ignore it. 
and just kind of accept the fun of what's going on. Um, cause the whole movie's ridiculous and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that. So, uh, Wendy Williams pops up and is like, like, bitch, I'm the law around here. Don't get in my fucking way and all this shit. And it's great. And of course that's in every fucking prison movie, right? That's an escape from Alcatraz and Shawshank Redemption. And it's in fucking it's in bad boys. And it's, I love it. I love it. It's fucking hilarious. And in, during when, when they were making this, uh, Wendy Williams came in a week into filming. So they were already filming this fucking thing. And she came in a week uh, after, you know, filming began because she was out doing a naked skydiving photo shoot for Playboy. <laughs> Oh my god. Wendy Williams is a fucking legend. Okay, I can't stress this enough. Like a real rock and roll badass fucking live fast, die young <laughs> fucking fucking badass. And I'm sure there's photos out there. I'm sure you can find pictures of Wendy Williams skydiving naked. And that's before people were doing that all the time. Like that's like there's a lot of like people skydiving naked on the internet and shit, but like this is 1986, so a true revolutionary. So let's see, let's let's go over everything. So uh, so Charlie, it's Wendy Williams. She has she has like her fucking girl gang, right? And the girl gang kind of like Charlie duh, and probably her whole little girl gang. They they go fuck around with Edna and they get favors. You know, they, they're excluded from doing hard labor. They can wear wherever the fuck they want and no one fucks with them. Right. And they get special, they get whatever food they want. They, you know, they get, they get benefits and fights between Charlie's gang. Um, and Jenny and the girls who have beef with Charlie. So basically Jenny makes, makes friends like sort of the, the, uh, a lot of girls in the place have beef with Charlie and her girl gang, obviously, because they fucking run and run everything and no one fucks with them. Right. So when once Jenny comes in and Jenny, uh, you know, when kind of pushed by Charlie, like stands up to her, like, isn't going to take any shit, which is, which is pretty cool in prison movies because some, a lot of prison movies, New guy comes in and a random bully will get in their face, be like, yo, fucking, I run this fucking place, stay out of my fucking way, and whatever. And usually something has to happen where that main character has to fucking retaliate against this person who's tormenting them. And then fucking, they kind of gain respect after that. And, like, they'll, whoever's, like, starting shit with them, like, they'll whoop their ass or something. And everyone sees it. So now they are kind of looked at, like, they go up the hierarchy in the fucking jail or the prison or wherever the fuck they're at. So Jenny, like, stands up to fucking Charlie and shit. So all these other girls who um, have beef with fucking Charlie kind of side with, they get behind Jenny and they're just like, 
you know, like we got to stick together because fucking Charlie and her girls will just fucking run, run over everybody. So, so that's going on. You have the whole thing with Dr. Norton uh, being the kind, well-meaning doctor that has a few scenes with Jenny and the girl Lisa. And the girl Lisa is the scared, mentally and emotionally damaged girl who came in with Jenny. And now, and Jenny actually kind of feels protective over Lisa because she's, she's innocent. You know, she comes off like a little girl. Even though the girl who played her is probably like 25. (laughs) But she really plays it as like, you know, she can't fend for herself. So Jenny kind of takes her under her wing and be like, hey, no one's going to fuck with you sort of thing. So so all that is set up. And so the whole place, the place, uh, the way Edna runs the place, and then eventually we're introduced to um, Sybil Danning, who is... Conspicuous by her lack of skin, Sybil Danning's kind of known for being in all these sort of B movies and kind of sci-fi fantasy films of um, <laughs> varying budgets. But she's beautiful woman, but she's always kind of in some sort of uh, scantily clad outfit. And not so much in this uh, in this movie. She's she's like the head. Uh, her name is Sutter, and she's like the warden. And you don't really see her that much. Like she'll appear every once in a while when when the prisoners are especially fucking rowdy and whatever, and she needs to come in and flex on everybody. But yeah, Sybil Sybil Danning's like wearing this like she looks like uh, she's in like works on the death star or something or um like you've seen space balls there's the character of colonel sanders <laughs> like, like his uniform with like the big shoulder pads and shit that's like what she's wearing and um i get it's like her outfit is supposed to look kind of fascistic and whatever and but yeah she's completely covered up in this movie so you have so basically the structure is like you have all the the guards who are kind of shitty to all the girls, but they're under the thumb of Edna, and Edna, Edna runs everything, and then Sybil Danning basically runs the entire prison, but has Edna. She's kind of there. Uh, well, apparently, Edna's there. Like she lives there. I think. I think all the guards live there because even at nighttime. If some shit pops off at night, like they'll come running in and they're like in their pajamas and have hair rollers in and shit. And so it's kind of like a Ricky O, the story of Ricky, <laughs> where it's like there's like there you have your middle management guards that, you know, monitor the regular guards. And then you have the main warden guy who comes in and he's like the big boss. He's like the big baddie at the end. But, um, so a lot of shit happens. Fucking there's there's a lot of fights between Charlie and uh, Jenny and Charlie's girls and other girls in the prison. And then there's that sort of interspersed with uh, full frontal glorious shower scenes. And um, 
there's one point where they all get in trouble and they have to go, um, like they all get in a big fight and then they have to go do manual labor in a field. They're like hoeing dirt in this like radish field, which is weird. <laughs> They're just sitting there tapping radishes out of the ground as, so basically, they're they have to go do fucking hard labor, like Cool Hand Luke or some shit. And um, Edna's like underneath an umbrella, like drinking lemonade and fanning herself. And Wendy O. Williams is there, like refilling her lemonade in like a white bikini, like doing dumbbell curls. <laughs> so it's like you you definitely see the hierarchy that's going on here, and. There's, like, this truck driver dude who's, like, I guess he's just the guy who drives everyone out there um, to go work. And he's, like, I don't know. He looks like he would be, like, a roadie for Oreo Speedwagon or something like that. They could have got a more more attractive guy, but uh, I was listening to the commentary with um, Tom Simone, the director, and... He's like, yeah, we, we could have got a really hot guy to be the truck driver that uh, our main character, Jenny, kind of gives googly eyes to. But uh, we wanted to get a more regular-looking guy. Uh, basically, a guy who's not attractive at all. <laughs> so, but it, it does... It does... It works because Jenny's basically gives googly eyes to the guy, and then she fakes, like, fainting, and they have to throw her in the truck and give her water, and... The guy slips her a note like, oh, meet me at my truck at the at the jail later on tonight sort of thing. And uh, Understandable. You know, Jenny's probably, you know, she's locked up in this place. She's probably insanely horny and uh, like she goes to like <laughs> she sneaks out in the middle of the night and have like has sex with this dude in the back of his big covered truck. And then she's basically like, oh, I'll totally sleep with you, but you got to sneak me out of the fucking jail. And uh, he's like, yeah, totally. And then they fuck. And then once they get to the gate, the guy's like sitting there smoking a cigarette, fucking blowing smoke rings. And he's like, uh, I, you know, the guy who's at the main gate, he's like, I got something for you in the back. And the guard's like, okay. And he goes and looks in the back and Jenny's sitting there. And then Jenny <laughs> freaks out and starts running and fucking yells at the guy like, you fucking asshole, I let you fuck me and you're supposed to sneak me out. And now, <laughs> and so, yeah, basically Jenny tries to escape, which is another thing in fucking women in prison movies and, and really like uh, what? there's a scene like that in uh, Bad Boys where Sean Penn and another kid, they they get a hold of some tools and they're able to cut through a fence and then like try to run run away and get away, but they end up getting fucking caught. But um, there's always that sort of like, oh my god, our characters might actually escape. And it's like no, they end up get caught, they get dragged back, and then they get punished even harder and stuff. And what else? There's there's things like uh, the girl Lisa, like she ends up uh, getting. She basically ends up getting murdered by Edna. Like, Jenny tries to escape, and then she gets chased up this, like, um, this speaker tower that's in the middle of the yard. And one of the uh, one of the uh, prisoners refers, refers to it as uh, the voice of God, because it's got these big speakers mounted on it. 
And that's where like Sybil Danning will read like Bible quotes and, and shit, you know, at the end of the day to the prisoners. And so she's running up this tower to get away from Edna. And then, uh, Edna chases her up to the top of the thing. And then the girl like slips and falls off and plummets to her death. And so all the girls see that, well, Jenny sees this and all the other girls see this happen. And then they, uh, they basically just begin to fucking riot. Like Jenny throws a chair through the window and then all the girls in the dormitory just tear the fucking place to pieces. And then they all fucking get out of the building, escape. And then they go after fucking Edna. Who's like in a meeting with fucking Sybil Danning and uh, Dr. Norton and a bunch of this sort of like, I don't know people who run the prison but aren't there and, and they're not aware that all these horrible things are happening to these girls there. And and then all of a sudden there's a fucking prison break and they all escape and they get out and then Edna comes out fucking uh, she starts shooting prisoners. <laughs> you know, and they're like, you can't shoot all of us sort of thing and they're rioting and uh she ends up shooting Wendy O. Williams, and then Wendy O. Williams, um, like, Edna starts climbing up that same tower that they uh, that Jenny fell off of and, you know, fell to her death, and Wendy O. Williams uh, hops over a fence, steals a bus, and then drives the bus through a chain-link fence and into the tower, and it explodes, and then the entire tower goes up in flames, and then Edna catches fire and then falls off the tower and splats on the ground, her body's still on fire. And and then Wendy Williams, uh, I, well, yeah, she was driving the bus. <laughs> she was driving the bus at the tower. And this was all something that was like Wendy Williams' idea. She's like, okay, how about my character drives the bus at the tower, but before it hits the tower, I kick out the uh, the windshield I climb up on top of the bus and then I jump off before it hits the tower and explodes. And it was a whole thing where New World Pictures was like, uh, that sounds dangerous and expensive and risky. And they fucking let Tom DeSimone shoot it anyways. And Wendy Williams like did the whole fucking stunt herself. Like it's in, you know, you can tell it's her. And she's still wearing like knee high boots and a thong and a leather bra. And now she's covered in blood because she's shot. And she does the whole thing. She kicks out the fucking window. She climbs on top of the fucking bus and then jumps off. And fucking kudos to Wendy Williams. Does her fucking own stunts. That's what's up. So, um, so Edna is dead. And. Charlie is dead. Uh, went out in a, you know, before she dies, she lifts her head up and she's covered in blood. She's like, I'll see you in hell. And then just dies. And so she turned good, like right at the end. You know what I mean? Like she, she was able to, um, get back at Edna for being so fucking horrible. And so after this giant prison riot and, Prisoners getting fucking murdered and shit like that. Uh, we kind of fast forward to Jenny actually getting released. So you just assume that she was able to serve her time and she got out and she says goodbye to some of the other the other girls, some of the other kind of characters 
um, that kind of helped her along the way. And, you know, she jumps in a cab that's waiting for her and then off she goes. Like Jenny's out of the reform school and she goes on for the rest of, you know, she goes on to lead the rest of her life. And what happens to her? I don't know, but you're hopeful for her. You know, it's kind of a happy ending. And the way it plays out, you assume like, like everyone's there, like Dr. Norton, you assume is now in charge of the place because Sybil Danning's character and Edna were conspiring to basically torture these poor fucking girls and stuff. So they can't run the fucking place. And, um, Dr. Norton is presumably going to be left in charge and Charlie's dead. So, but you know, you know how these types of things work. Like if Charlie dies, like whoever else, whoever else is in her gang will take over and whatever. And, I mean, it's a it's a correctional institution. I'm sure, you know, one gang leader dies, another one will take its place. But for the sake of this movie, happy ending. See you in hell, Edna. <laughs> Jenny gets to uh, go home and or wherever. And, um, and that's the end of Reform School Girls. I did leave a whole bunch out, but you can figure out uh, all that shit on your own. It's a fun movie to watch. Watch it with some friends. It's got fun acting, cool characters, great soundtrack, and now a great Blu-ray release. And it's one of those movies that's sort of, uh, I mean, it's got everything. It's dramatic. It's definitely, I think it would fall into kind of like black comedy. You know, you got you got a prison movie. You got exploitation elements, you got a lot of nudity, you got all this sort of erotic visual stuff going on, and it's also funny. <laughs> so, and, and the movie it doesn't take its tel- uh, itself too seriously. But in terms of uh, filmmaking, it's, you know, for what the movie is, it's very well made, and I definitely recommend it. So, yeah, that's Reform School Girls. You can go to... Uh, Vinegar Syndrome, and pick yourself up a copy. Um, they do do like they do like limited edition stuff, so I don't know how long this uh, slipcover artwork is gonna be available on their website. But yeah, and also Vinegar Syndrome's got all type of great releases: horror movies, cult films, sci-fi shit, um, a lot of good stuff over there. But yeah, that was Reform School Girls. Check it out. I definitely recommend it. And let's jump over to our next film. Our next film is 2022's You Are Not My Mother, directed by Kate Dolan. It is a film from Ireland, and it is of the horror variety. And I did enjoy You Are Not My Mother. Ireland is very interesting nowadays. There's a lot of uh, interesting first-time directors that are coming out with some good stuff. So I'm going to definitely keep my eye on the great country of Ireland. You Are Not My Mother falls into the category of what can be considered folk horror. 
let's see, full core. I guess that would be, um, you know, uh, what's a mainstream? Uh, how about a uh, midsummer? Midsummer, I think, can be considered full core in that it has it has elements of this sort of possible, I guess, like pre-Christian, maybe pagan roots. Uh, sort of religions that are more based on, uh, well, in this case, sort of like Celtic traditions and how the sort of those uh, those stories, those those stories from the past can come back to the modern day and superstitions and whatever you want to call them, that folklore can come and, and, and infect infect the present and get a pretty good movie out of it. Uh, I saw a documentary recently that was recommended to me. It's a documentary called Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, a history of folk horror. And it was very interesting. So you, and and it's more from um, the perspective of movies like the Wicker Man, uh, Witchfinder General, uh, Blood on Satan's Claw, movies like that, um, and I'm 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 enjoying these sort of, uh, I guess, cult horror type of films that are coming back around now because it's a fresh spin on things like possession stories and um, slasher films and psychological horror. Like it's it's a it's a really good. It's a really good um, way to enhance the template of those types of genres that maybe have been kind of beat to death in terms of you know certain tropes getting played out. But you are not my mother. Uh, it starts with uh, the character of uh, of Rita, Grandma Rita, taking a baby into the woods to perform a uh, to perform witchcraft on the baby. <laughs> She's reading out of this book called The Changeling, and I tried to... Uh, I have a giant TV, so when I paused it, I was w- looking at the book opened up and tried to see if it was a real book or not, and it looked kind of like a real book. It didn't have any page numbers or anything like that, but... But Grandma Rita is basically performing a ritual out of this book. And then I went and looked it up, and there's like a million books called The Changeling. So I don't think I'm ever going to find the actual uh, <laughs> book that she was uh, reading out of. And I don't even know if the book in the uh, in the movie was even real. So could be fictitious. I don't know. And she she brings the baby into the woods, and she begins to build a fire. And one thing I found... Very cool is she started making um, this thing called feather sticks, and if you've ever had to been if you were in like the Boy Scouts or you go camping a lot or um, I don't know you're into bushcraft uh, skills of any kind you know what you know what feather sticks are and they're used to make fire. It's basically you it, it's a way of making uh, very thin dry tinder in order to make a fire easier to uh to build 
especially if you're in an area where maybe the wood is wet and, you know, you need something dry and you need something that'll ignite quickly. Like if you're using like a ferro rod and striker type of thing, if you don't have matches or whatever. But, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the grandma made made a uh, made a feather stick and then made a fire and blew on it and... Uh, <laughs> I don't know why that tickled me so much. I don't know. I'm a big fan of bonfires when I lived in California. Like, I love having, building fires on the beach and going in the woods and building big, ridiculous fires and just hanging out. Um, I, I like, not since, uh, actually, the the best making a fire scene is, uh, I mean, I, I'll have to give a consolation prize to probably Tom Hanks and Castaway. <laughs> But but the best build a fire scene in a movie is from the film Quest for Fire, and there's a scene where the uh, like our main character runs into this tribe, and the and one of the members of the tribe uh, it's very primitive. Like there's not even dialogue in the movie. There's like everyone just grunts. Everyone's like essentially cavemen and like primitive peoples. It's interesting. Quest for Fire. Uh, a, I think I believe a young Ron Perlman is in that film before he became a crazy old man screaming into his phone on social media. <laughs> oh, Ron Perlman, what happened to you, bro? <laughs> you used to be now you used to be Devil Boy. Now your grandpa screaming into his phone. Oh, that's a bummer. But he was in Quest for Fire, and there's a scene where. The uh, the main character gets shown by this sort of uh, this primitive tribes person how to build a fire, and he actually uses a like uh, kind of like a bow drill, you know what I mean? But 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 instead of using his hands, we had a thin stick that he would place into a little piece of wood, and he would rub it to cause friction. And once the friction started smoking, he'd put little bits of dry wood chips in there and then the sparks would kind of ignite that and then he'd put dry grass on it and then he'd blow on that and the fire would get bigger and then they would add sticks and then bigger sticks and then logs this beautiful scene (laughs) if you're sitting at home smoking a whole bunch of weed right now go watch quest for fire crawl under a blanket (laughs) and get baked and watch quest for fire um i also decided i'm gonna start smoking a lot of weed I'm, I haven't really smoked much weed since I moved to Texas, but I actually been drinking a lot. And I realized the other day uh, I've been drinking too much and uh, I need to fucking pump the brakes on drinking for a bit. So uh, I'm this is day three of no drinking for me. So I'm kind of. I'll be out of the woods in in a couple of days, I can tell. Last night was rough. I got up. I was fucking sweating my ass off. Um, I I woke up a couple of times. I couldn't sleep. Um, But, yeah, I know in a couple of days I'll be cool. And I'll I'll just see how long I can go without drinking because I went six years without drinking, like, like not not that long ago. So, but, uh, yeah, maybe I'll just... Smoke some weed and watch Quest for Fire and maybe do a review on it. <laughs> maybe not. Anyways, uh, 
Let's get back to the movie. Uh, Grandma Rita builds a fire. Is uh, once she makes the fire, you can kind of see the book is open uh, nearby, and you can kind of see some sketches, some little schematic drawings of like make a fire, make it in the circle of a ring. And you see the baby sitting there, and then it cuts to Grandma Rita's face as the fire is raging, and you can just hear the baby crying. So, and then it, and then it cuts to title card. You are not my mother, and you, you're like, I don't know. Did did that woman just light a baby on fire? <laughs> did uh, she cook the baby? Did she eat the baby? Like what just happened just now? And they they leave it a little up in the air. So. But this movie definitely a little bit of a slow burn, but I'll say like right up front, this movie pays off everything it sets up like no wasted motion in this movie. It's just like everything that's brought up, mentioned, hinted at comes up later and it has some type of conclusion. So I give this film giant props for that. It was a very thoughtfully written movie. So, it's Halloween time. And we are introduced to the character of Char, or Char. Char, short for Charlotte, but she's, everyone calls her Char. Char just missed the bus for school. And Grandma Rita can't take her because she has a bum foot. And they set that up in before the title card. Like Grandma Rita takes the baby into the woods. And you and you get when and Grandma Rita has a bit of a limp. She's got a kind of a gimp foot a little bit. So she, you know, Char's like, Hey, uh, grandma, I need a I need to ride to school. I missed the bus. And grandma's got her foot up and stuff, and she's like, I can't, my foot's all fucked up today my bum foot's acting up and it was it was kind of weird like the camera kind of like briefly looks at her foot it like kind of pans over to it real quick and she had like this like green slime coming out of her foot like this like this weird it looked fucking funky and that wasn't an accident that because it's a little off it's a little off-putting it just glance the camera glances at it and you're just like ugh what the fuck is up with your foot? There's like weird green shit come out of it. It looked like, it looked like in Troll 2. You ever see Troll 2? <laughs> There's like this green shit that the trolls want people to eat. And then it turns into, it melts you and turns you into fucking, into a plant. <laughs> um, it looks like a, like a, a more dull kind of uh, matte finish, uh, green ooze from Ninja Turtles. Okay, can you picture it? Instead of a glowing ooze, it's more of a sort of uh, flat green looking color. And Grandma Rita suggests that Char ask her mother, Angela, if she can give her a ride. And the character of Char was played by uh, actress Hazel Dupe. And everyone in this movie, like, like they've all done stuff, but none, like from what I can tell, like no one's really did any big movies or anything like that. But the cast is really good. And uh, Hazel, and I apologize if I'm getting that wrong. It may be Dupe or something, but I believe it's Hazel Dupe. Um, 
the character of Shar, she has this great, like her face is good. Like she looks like a normal teenage girl, um, but she has this sort of, she has these worried eyes. She has this, she kind of has, she has like these big kind of scared eyes and um, it makes her very, um, it's easy to empathize with her. And she, you know, she kind of seems, she has this kind of uh, guarded, this guarded, uh, like, timidness to her. And she has a, she also has a scar on her right cheek. It's like this red, you know, light red, pinkish scar on her right cheek. And it kind of looks like, uh, I don't know. You know when, (laughs) you know what it looks like? You know, like in the news, every once in a while, you hear about like a hate crime that's probably fake. I mean, let's face it. And someone will like draw a swastika on someone's fucking garage door or on their car or something. And you could tell it's a fake hate crime because the swastika is drawn incorrectly. People are bad at drawing swastikas. I don't know if you've noticed that, but uh, there's a that's what that's what Shars. Scar in her cheek looks like it looks like uh, it looks like a a poorly drawn kind of pinkish swastika. You know what it looks like? <laughs> okay, there's a band called Shitfucker, <laughs> and Shitfucker's logo is an S and an F, but they're kind of combined together to look like one type of letter. And it kind of looks like a swastika. And, uh, yeah, that's what her, the scar on her cheek looks like. It looks like the logo from the band Shitfucker. I should rip off the Shitfucker logo. Shitfucker, Skeleton Factory. I should look into that. <laughs> that's what my show needs. It needs, a, uh, it needs a logo that looks like a swastika. That's... That won't get me pulled off of social media. Might sell some merch, though. So you got to think about the bottom line. Now, once Rita suggests, like, yo, Char, why don't you go ask your mom to give you a ride? I can't do it. Like, the look of worry. And the camera kind of holds on Char's face for a couple seconds. The look of worry on her face of, like, you can tell immediately, like, she doesn't want to ask her mom. They haven't even introduced her mom, Angela, yet. Like, she's not even introduced. She hasn't been on screen yet. But just that, her reaction to her grandma telling her that, like, tells you a lot. So, Char goes to wake up her mom. Her mom's asleep in bed. And they get in the car and they start driving. And you you have, um, they very quickly, they slowly and quickly establish that Angela has some type of mental condition. She's she's not very she's not very lucid. Her mind wanders. She seems very depressed. And Char tells Angela, like, hey mom, um, you should probably go to the store later. Her mom's like, What do we need? She's like, I don't know. Milk, bread. Cereal, you know, food, because we have, like, no food in the fucking house. And her mom's like, oh, no, I can't. And she's like, she's like, bitch, we need food in the house. (laughs) 
her, her mom's like out of it. You know what I mean? It's not like her mom is even like in the conversation. Like, mm, I don't want to go to the fucking store. She's like, Oh no, I need to go home and crawl back in bed and be miserable. It's like, <laughs> like my mom's a, a fucking mess, but um, it's one of those things where one thing about mental illness in movies is it's not so much the person with the mental the the, the mental issue that real that that needs to shine through in their performance so much as the people around them because it's one thing like um, well like the Safdie brothers good time which I did an episode on uh, Benny Safdie plays. Um, he plays one of the brothers in the movie that has a, he has a learning disability. Okay. And he does a really good job, but it's one of those things where it's like that person's disability can only be kind of understood through how the people around him react and treat him. And in and in good time, that was Robert Pattinson, and apparently he did a good job because now he's fucking Batman. So that's great, and um, and you know Batman, what does he do? He deals with fucking people with fucking mental problems, and then he punches them in the fucking face. So that's there you go. But um, but Char dealing with a parent who has a condition, and it's and it's not ex. Explicitly stated in the movie, but um, Angela has some type of bipolar disorder. So the um, so watching a child dealing with a parent that has some some type of bipolar disorder was is also very good performance from uh, from Char. So they're driving down the street, and Char's like, "Mom, what's like what's wrong with you?" And suddenly they're driving down the street. It's a regular street in a regular neighborhood. There's a horse, a black horse in the street. And Char's like, mom, watch out. Mom, watch out. Mom, watch out. And then they fucking swerve off the road and just narrowly miss hitting this horse. It's not even saddled or anything. It's just standing in the road. And they basically swerve off the road into a field. And Char's like, Fucking mom, what the fuck was that? Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And um, basically, Char, uh, Char jumps out of the car and is like, well, I'm just going to fucking walk the rest of the way because um, you're, I can't deal with your fucking shit right now. And you understand her frustration, you know what I mean? It's not like she's being mean unjustifiably to her mom. And her mom says something to the effect of, like, I can't do this anymore. And then Char's like, well, maybe you should go home then. So it's like, dang, dang, kid. You got to, that's what you got to deal with. And then you got to fucking go to school and deal with fucking the assholes at school. Speaking of school, um, so Char gets to school and you realize right away that she's pretty smart. And... She's a good student, but she's also quiet and she, and when somebody is quiet and timid, it makes them a target for bullying, obviously. And 
there's a scene where she she's the recipient of some um, some bullying and the type of bullying in this movie it's 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 pretty it's pretty good and <laughs> not that bullying's not that bullying's good but the way it's depicted right so these two fucking bully girls that will eventually be make up a big part of the movie like one like two of the bu- bully girls are sitting next to each other and teachers like yo you two need to separate like one of you go sit over there next to char and the other girl comes over and sits next to her and like she's like chewing gum because of course that's that's a nice touch too because that's always a thing in school right no chewing gum in class and the girl takes out her fucking gum and fucking just smushes it into fucking Char's, like, her, like, homework. Doesn't even say anything. Just She just does it. Like, mm, I'm just going to mush my gum into your fucking paper. <laughs> it's such a shitty thing to do. So, yeah, they established that Char's kind of a loner. She's She's also an only child. You know, she's an only child. She's a bit of a loner, but she's smart. You know, she's. You know, she's got at least she's got that going for her because being reclusive and a loner and dumb sucks. Believe me, I am. I was that in school. I'm kind of that now. <laughs> I'm not particularly bright and I'm kind of a, a a loner, but I'm smart enough to not be a complete recluse because I know I'll go crazy. So. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, oh yeah. So yeah, there's this whole scene where that she had, uh, she turned in this art project to her teacher, and it's this drawing of, um, maybe like a pastel drawing or painting, something like that. But she dreamt of the the picture was like on black paper, and it's uh, the picture of a silhouette of a person standing, um well, basically surrounded by fire. And the teacher's like, oh, this is interesting. Like, where where did you get the idea for this? And she's like, I had a dream about it. The teacher's like, hmm, okay, interesting. And um, and she's like, okay, well, thank you for your project. Uh, she's like, you like you getting along good with people? You're like, is everything okay, Char? She's like, yeah. Yeah, she's, she says something to that effect. Like, you make, you like are you making friends? Something like that. And Char's like, yeah. And then it just hard cuts to the cafeteria where Char's just sitting at an empty table alone, eating by herself. You know? And it's one of those things where the movie just moves right along. It's like boom, boom, boom. And just all these little moments, you're just like, I know exactly who this girl is. I understand her deal. I sympathize with her. And I hope, you know, nothing bad happens to her because she appears very vulnerable. So on the way home, Char's walking home, and I don't know. I thought that was weird. I'm like, you miss the bus to school, but you also miss the bus going home. The fuck? What kind of straight A student are you? You don't know when the bus schedule is. Maybe the bus only drops you off. I don't know. But Char's walking home. Anyway, uh, it's that's just something I noticed, and it's fine. Whatever, it doesn't really matter, but. She's walking home and she walked by she walks by the field that her and her mom 
like swerved into that morning and Char's walking past the field and her mom's car is still in the field with like the door open. So the car's just been sitting there all fucking day. She goes and checks on the car and there's like some groceries in the car, but her mom's gone. She like vanished. So Angela went missing. No one knows where the fuck she is. And I want to mention like right now, like uh, I watched this movie twice. I watched it once just to kind of take it in. And then I watched it a second time. Um, and then I kind of make all my notes for the, uh, for the show. Right. And there's a lot of watching it the second time, like watching how much uh, Kate Dolan, the director, like really wanted to make sure that, there was all the, I don't want to say subliminal things, but there were all these things in the movie that are like right out in the open that sort of, they were constantly hinting and making, making it obvious. They kept mentioning things like bonfires, fire, lighters, smoking, things like that. Like the, like the drawing that she did. And it just also, um, I mean, I've never spent a Halloween in, uh, in Ireland, I don't, uh, I don't celebrate uh, Samhain, which you know in America we call it Samhain. <laughs> if you're a Glenn Danzig fan, you've probably listened to the band Samhain. So, <laughs> but um, you know, out there they like to light big bonfires on Halloween, and the idea is that the bonfires keep away evil spirits. So that's it's like things like that are sort of constantly mentioned in the film. So Char comes home and the cops are there questioning her and grandma. And then we're introduced to uncle Aaron, who's uh, Angela's brother. And the cops come and question everybody. And Aaron's kind of, he's kind of a hothead. You know, he's like, but understandably, his sister's missing, you know, and he knows his sister has some type of disorder and, you know, she has a daughter, you know, you know, so he's, he's, he's kind of, he kind of comes in the house. He's, he came in hot, you know, so, um, so Shard gathers some photos of Angela and, um, for the police, but also like gave some to, uh, Aaron, Uncle Aaron, and they're like, okay, we're going to split up and we're going to go looking for her, okay? I know the cops are out doing whatever they can, but we need to go out and look for her too. So they split up and Char is walking with some pictures of her mom so she can show people like, hey, have you seen my mom? And we, Char comes across, uh, we come across uh, the bully girls, of the movie that hang out in this alleyway and this alleyway keeps coming up in the movie. And I'm, and I'm just like, why doesn't she fucking just walk another route to get to school? Like, why does she always walk down this one alley? It's just like, you know, the bully girls are there. (laughs) Uh, That's another one of those things where I was just, this is one of those things I noticed that kind of bugged me a little bit, but I was like, whatever, the movie has to take place, so let's just ignore it for now. 
and we come so we come across the bully girls and and their little sh- little shithead friends hanging out in this uh, this alleyway, and here comes Char walking through, and they run up on her, and they're like, "Hey, what are you doing?" and and they see the photo and they grab the photo and they're like, Oh, is this your mom? And one of like the main bully girl, like takes the photo and, uh, and like burns it, you know, she starts to burn it and Char like snatches it away and she gets the photo back, but it's like, it's damaged at this point. So it just establishes that these, uh, these bully girls are real cunts. (laughs) So, so we cut to grandma. Uh, grandma is making Char this little, I don't even know how to fucking describe it. It's like this little ball. It's like, it's probably about, it's probably about the size, a little smaller than a tennis ball, a little bigger than a golf ball. And it's made of like vines and sticks and little leaves. And it's sort of all kind of, uh, kind of tied together in a knot. It's like this little ball thing. And she gives it to Char, and she's like, "This is for protection." So you can kind of tell that's some that's some weird witch shit right there. So, and Char's like, "Oh, thanks, Grandma." And then Char, uh, and then we jump to Char has a nightmare. Okay, and the nightmare is of her mom. The nightmare is she goes into her mom's room. Her mom is tied to her bed. Okay, she's tied to the headboard by her wrist. And her head is covered by a sheet. And she walks into the room. And she pulls the sheet off her mom's head. (laughs) Okay. She removes the sheet and it reveals that her mom's... She's got like this like scary, creepy face. Her eyes and mouth kind of look like they're sewn shut. And her face looks like it's grinning. And... um. It was creepy, yet effective. Like, um, it was enough of a quick, I don't want to say jump scare, but it was a quick enough little scare with a little bit of music sting to it where it was like, oh, that's that's kind of disturbing. And the movie's pretty quiet, so every time something like that would happen, it had more meaning than... I don't know, a movie that has tons of fucking music and noise and it's loud and everyone's screaming and then, like, boom, a jump scare. Because, I don't know, uh, jump scares in that context just seem cheap. But this one is definitely earned because everything was so, like, very methodic, methodical and slow. And, and then, boom, you have the creepy face scene and then you're just like, oh, my God. And it kind of wakes you up a little bit. So Angela comes home. Um, and I mean, you don't know, you don't really know how long she was gone. It feels like she was probably gone like a day, maybe two. And then, uh, Angela comes home in the middle of the night. So she comes home and then we just cut to the next day. Uh, uncle Aaron comes over and he brings Angela's medications from the pharmacy and he brings Char a pumpkin like, Hey, here you go. I brought this for you. Some you can carve it and make a jack o' lantern and shit. Hey, thanks, Uncle Aaron. And Aaron's looking at um he's looking at the bottles and he's realizes that the pharmacy forgot one of them. Aaron realizes that Angela's lithium 
is not in the bag and and lithium is a it's a medication for uh, bipolar disorder basically and um i'm not a doctor obviously but that's that's my extent of uh, my knowledge of lithium char offers to go get it because aaron has to like go to work or some shit she's like i can just go get it it's fine so she goes to pick up the rest of the uh, prescriptions and she's actually met outside the pharmacy by the character of Suzanne. And Suzanne is actually one of the bully girls. And she's by herself. And, she, and Suzanne is also the girl that sat next to her in the beginning of the film and like pulled her gum out and smushed it into her into Char's homework. And she was also there when uh, in the alleyway when they burnt the, the picture of uh, Char's mom. So... So Suzanne basically sees her and is trying to get Char's attention, and she's she's trying to apologize. Actually, um, she she basically follows her almost all the way home, and and Char's just not even engaging with her, not even speaking to her, and Suzanne's like, like come on, say something to me. She's like, punch me in the face or call me a call me a cunt or something. She says something like that. She's like, call no, call me a dickhead or. Punch me in the face, something. Just acknowledge I'm here. And Char's like, you know, she's, she, you know, Suzanne tries to apologize, and Char's like, okay, cool. Um, like, she's like, could you just like leave me alone, please? And Suzanne's like, yeah, sure, no problem, dude. So she tries to, you know, apologize, you know. For, at least for herself. She definitely didn't apologize for the rest of the girls because the rest of the girls are fucking awful. So Char comes home to Angela cooking in the kitchen. She's awake. She's listening to music. And she's cooking what appears to be soup for dinner. So, and it's kind of a sweet scene. It's actually, if you watch it a second time, it's kind of a deceptively sweet scene because uh, Angela's up. She's making dinner. She's She put on a nice little house dress, and she looks like she's feeling a lot better. Charge asks her how she's doing, and she's like, oh, God, I feel great. I feel so much better. And they have this little scene where, like, the radio's playing, and, and Angela kind of starts dancing and and is like, come on, dance with me, Char. And it's kind of sweet. It's kind of a sweet little scene. And you're happy for Char. This is the first time you see her happy at all in the movie. Like up to this point, it's just like she's miserable. And there's this one, this, this will scene, you're just like, oh, that's kind of nice. Like Char is kind of getting her mom back. It's great. And so grandma comes home. And uh, she's like, oh, you made soup. And, like, Angela's, like, getting, she's, like, setting the table, I think. And you can see Grandma. It's sort of, it's out of focus, but you can see in the background, Grandma walks over to the soup and then just fucking knocks it on the floor. Just a whole pot of soup just fucking throws the shit on the floor. And she's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. An accident just happened. And you're like, that wasn't an accident. I saw what you did, Grandma. And um, I do want to point out one thing. The Angela was cutting up pumpkin, a nice orange pumpkin. 
to make pumpkin soup. And you see her doing this, and Char's like, oh, that was my pumpkin for, I was going to make a jack-o'-lantern out of it. And Andrew's like, oh, oh, my bad. I saw it sitting here, and I figured I'd make soup out of it. And Char's like, yeah, it's okay. Don't worry about it. But the soup is, like, green. Like, it looks like, and this is kind of gross, but it kind of looks like that shit that was coming out of Grandma's foot. <laughs> and I know and I, I know that wasn't on fucking accident. You know what I mean? So I was like, yeah, pumpkin soup wouldn't be fucking green. That's kind of strange. But maybe that's part of, I don't know. I probably could have looked this up. I could probably look it up now, but I'm not going to. I'm drinking coffee right now. But um, maybe that's one of... Uh, maybe someone can look this up and tell me. But like, are jack o' lanterns used as like a uh, a deterrent to keep away evil spirits, to like scare them away? Possibly. Maybe Angela saw the possibility of a jack o' lantern to be like a threat of some kind. Because you, you have to, you know, jack o' lanterns—they're only visible at night because of what? Because of fire, right? Put a little candle inside the jack o' lantern, and it glows. So. I don't know, I, th- I thought that was very interesting. See, I'm telling you, they set up everything, and then they fucking completely pay it off in this movie. It's, it's I like that. So, <laughs> fucking grandma um, pretends she accidentally spilled the soup all over the floor. and So now dinner's ruined, and Uncle Aaron shows up, and he's like, hey, everybody, I bought fries. I think he may have called them chips, but... I brought fries for everybody, which is, that was kind of weird. Maybe that's an Irish thing that I'm not familiar with. I'm like, fuck, you brought enough fries for four people and you brought nothing else? You must really like fries. So now it's like, so then we have this whole thing where uh, we're sitting around the the table and everyone's just fucking eating fries and... Angela looks fucking pissed. She's like staring daggers into her fucking mom. Like, bitch, you you dropped my soup. What the fuck? She didn't say anything, but she just, the look she's giving her is like terrifying. And Angela, uh, well, let's see. Uh, Shara's like, hey, mom, uh, we're having a school field trip. I need you to sign a permission slip. And then fucking Angela signs it. And then Angela's like, hey, you know what? Uh, you're you're having a, um, I think she called it Halloween break. I was like, you have, what? You have a break for Halloween? Actually, I think it was just the weekend off, something like that. But she, I think she called it Halloween break. I don't know. Anyways, she Angela suggests like, hey, to Char. She's like, hey, why don't we go away for the weekend? Just the two of us. Like, we'll we'll just get out of town for a little bit and just have the weekend together. And Char at first kind of, uh, it's like, yeah, like, okay, like, that could be fun. And fucking Uncle Aaron just shuts that shit down immediately. He's like, you're not fucking going anywhere. <laughs> He's like, you're, you know, and, and understandably. It comes off a little mean, but you understand where he's coming from. It's like, bitch, you vanished for a couple of days. You're heavily medicated. You're not driving a child out of town. <laughs> That's not happening. So, yeah, Uncle Aaron shuts uh, that shit down immediately. And then we have, uh, there's this, 
scene where it's like it's nighttime now. Okay, it's dark in the house. Shar's in bed, and her door is open, and she can see and hear that her mom woke up to go to the bathroom. She can see her from her bed, and she looks like she's like she's ill, like her stomach hurts. And then Angela, like she's sort of like kind of gagging a little bit, like like she might throw up. And then you see her tilt her head back, and she reaches her hand down her throat. But she doesn't just stop at her hand. Like, she gets, like, past her wrist, like, to almost, like, you know, like, mid-forearm <laughs> down her throat. And it, and then it cuts away where you're just like, oh, what the fuck? And then she eventually vomits. And actually, that actually had a really good scene because... Char sees her do this and then like gets freaked out and then jumps into bed and pretends she's asleep. You know, she has like her back to the door and like she's under the covers. And then Angela like goes over to Char's room and opens the door and she comes in and she's, she's sort of like the, in the foreground, you see Char like just trying to be asleep, trying not to move. And you can see Angela kind of come into the room and she's all kind of out of focus and blurry. And she like slowly, is coming up to her bed and she's like, are you awake? And then the movie, and then the movie cuts to another scene the next day. And it's something about that cut was kind of unnerving and scary. And, oh yeah. So we now get to, um, we get to the scene where you, Angela is taking a bunch of her medication, a bunch of her lithium and she's grinding it up into a powder. And then she ends up dumping it into a cup and making Aaron a cup of tea. And she's like, hey, I made you a cup of tea. And Aaron was like at the house fixing something. And he's like, oh, thanks, sis. And uh, and then Angela's like, oh, I want to go take a walk. She's like, is this... Is that okay? Is that allowed that I go take a walk? And Aaron's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. You know, it's it's cool, I guess. And you're like, fuck, Aaron, don't drink the tea. That fucking bitch is trying to poison you. Angela. Um, oh, God. Okay. So Angela goes for a walk, right? And Char is out and about. And she gets confronted again in, in the same alley. By the fucking bully girls. And the bully girls were like. Hey we were. Uh, that's another thing. Everyone's trying to build a bonfire. Right like everyone's trying to have a bonfire. So they can have a party because it's Halloween. Because that's what everyone does there. Or at least in in this world they do. And uh, they were. They like stole a bunch of pallets. And were throwing them over a wall. Because they want to have a bonfire in this field. That's on the other side of this wall. Right. So they stop her in the hall, in the uh, alleyway, and they're like, "Hey, did you tell anybody that we stole those pallets?" And Char's like, "No," and they're like, "Well, I think you're fucking lying." And you know what happens to liars? Uh, we fucking uh, <laughs> we ba- like basically, she's like, "We light their fucking faces on fire." And um, the bully girl's really mean. She's like, 
how did you get that scar on your face? Like, what's that on your face? And 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 uh, Char's like, it's a birthmark. And she's like, that's not what I heard. My family told me that your your fucking crazy family tried to light you on fire when you were a baby. She's like, well, now I'm gonna finish the job. And she pulls out like a can of hairspray and a lighter, and she's about to fucking just blowtorch Char's fucking face. And Char's like frozen up against a wall in fear. And then the girl's trying to like light the fucking lighter and, and Charles just shuts her eyes and just is about to take what, what's coming. And, and then you hear like the sound of running and then you just hear like, bam, someone getting fucking hit. Fucking Angela comes out of nowhere and saves Char. Like just fucking tackles the fuck out of this chick Probably punches her in the fucking face because she ends up getting a big fucking black eye and shit. So she basically, she saves Angela. The girls run off. And then we cut to the scene of Angela and um, and Char. They go on a walk by this little lake. And and Char's walking with her mom. And she's just like, where, like, where did you go when you disappeared? And Angela's like, I can't tell you. <laughs> You're just like, okay. So... At this point in the movie, everything leading up to this point, grandma is kind of, she's basically, at this point, you realize that grandma's like been made out to be a, a red herring in this movie. And convincingly so. You know, there's the scene in the opening where she's lighting a fucking baby on fire. <laughs> there's, she dumps out the fucking soup. There's, you know, there's, She's kind of acting shady and stuff. Like, there's all these little things where you're just like, I don't know what's going on with fucking grandma, but there's something up with her. But then as Angela kind of is going through her shit, you realize there's something wrong with Angela, too. So, um, Char comes back to the house with Angela, and grandma's in the front yard, like, screaming. And... Aaron is unconscious in the yard. So, because fucking Angela poisoned Aaron. So he drank the fucking tea. And now Aaron is unconscious in the yard. Like, we don't know if he's dead or what. But he's poisoned. And then uh, ambulance comes, takes him away. And, okay, so now we have this weird scene where ambulance takes Aaron away. And now Char and Angela are alone in the house. Like, Angela puts on music and starts, like, like, like dancing. Like, she's been doing dabs and going to a fucking drum circle or some shit. It's like, she's, like, Sufi dancing. And she's like, oh, sure, come dance with me. And she's like, I don't want to fucking dance. She's like, what are you doing? She's like, fucking Uncle Aaron is on his way to the fucking hospital right now. And he might be dead. And then there's this, and then, and then fucking Angela starts like angrily dancing in place to the point where she ends up fucking, and she's scaring the shit out of Char. And she ends up like rolling and breaking her own ankle. <laughs> and then Char just fucking, uh, so Char dips out, and then we jump to the field trip. If you remember, she signed the permission slip, and so yeah. So now we're out, now we're at the field trip, 
and it's like at a museum or something like that. But the tour guys is talking about uh, Samhain and and the bonfires at Halloween time and how they're used for protection and that whole thing. And all these things are not incidental. Like all these things all are completely connected to the story. And but you know, it's in the context of we're going on a field trip, so. So Shara kind of wanders off into this one room and the bully girls show up. You know, they have, they start up their shit like, look at my face. Look what your fucking crazy bitch mom did to my fucking face. And and she's like, don't you have anything to say for yourself, Shar? And Shar, it's this moment where she's, there's this moment where everything's going to, like things start to turn for Shar where she's like, She's like, yeah, I got something to say. You look like shit. Like, says it to the main bully girl's face. And um, you're like, yeah, Char. Don't take no shit from that bitch. And uh, Suzanne, who wasn't the, uh, initially there, walks in the room. She shows up and goes like, hey, what the fuck are you guys doing? She hasn't fucking done anything. Leave her the fuck alone. And she basically, and and also Suzanne is like, bigger than these other girls you know it's so she basically scares them the bully girls off like fuck off leave this girl alone you know and they they fuck off and suzanne's like to Shar, like hey are you okay and she's like yeah so you can tell that suzanne's like not all that bad and in fact is not cool with fucking all this bullying that's especially after the whole like they try to blow torch her face and like that that was kind of Suzanne's like okay that's the last straw we can't be tormenting another person like this so so that's cool shard gets a she's got a she's got a uh, she's got some backup now she's got somebody who's on her side a friend if you will so she you know who someone who'll stick up for her so they sort of become friends and then they go and they go to, they go, <laughs> it's funny. They go to the same alley, right? And then they like hop over the, uh, the wall in the alley where like, that's sort of like the, the kick it spot, the kind of hangout spot for fucking all the kids where they go and like party and smoke weed and shit. And, you know, away from the prying eyes of adults and authority figures. There's a scene where Char and Suzanne are sitting there smoking weed. Char doesn't smoke weed, so it's kind of like it's it's a very relatable scene. Everyone remembers like the first time they smoked weed and who they were with and you know, that whole kind of thing. So it's it's kind of it's kind of a sweet little scene of like, oh hey, Char's making a friend. That's great. And Suzanne tells Char that um you know, they kind of discuss Angela, like, oh, your mom's kind of fucked up, huh? And she's like, yeah, mom was kind of fucked up. And she's like, she's like, and Suzanne's like, yeah, I don't, like, my mom's dead. And she she drowned before I was really old enough to even know her. So she basically drowned when she was a baby and died. But she says that, like, she's like, I dream about her sometimes. So, again, there's sort of like this, we kind of circle we kind of circle back around to these uh, these themes of like oppressed feelings and uh, 
walls and drowning and fire and all these all these kind of subjects keep coming back around in the movie and so so in the scene Charles basically she's like hey you know what how would you like to come over for dinner and she's like pretty stoked you know like uh, and it's they also mentioned that as well like Charles like I've never fucking invited anybody to come over ever which is that's sad because Charles probably I don't know 17 Something like that. It's like you made it to 17 years old and you never invited anyone from school to like come hang out at your house or anything like that's that sucks. So Char's all happy and shit to have uh, Suzanne come over. And uh, we have this scene uh, where grandma is at the hospital with Aaron, like watching over him. Grandma goes home and Char and Suzanne shows up and. Grandma's like, <laughs> like who the who is this? And she's like, this is my friend Suzanne. Can she stay for dinner? I told her she can come over for dinner. And and Grandma's like, no, we're having a family dinner today. And Char's like, well, what the fuck? She's like, I never invite anyone over. I can't have someone come over for dinner. Are you serious? And Grandma's kind of being a bitch about it. And Suzanne is in. She Suzanne's like in the kitchen. Okay, while Grandma and Char are having this conversation in the living room. And then um, fucking Angela, who's like soaking wet, just appears behind Suzanne and whispers in her ear like, like, you should get out of here. <laughs> and then fucking Suzanne. It just cuts to Suzanne just running out of the house and down the street. And... Um, <laughs> so, so we have the scene where Granny... And uh, Char sit down at the table and just kind of have it out. Because at this point, Char's like, something is fucking going on that I'm not being told about. And I need to know what the hell's fucking going on. So Granny tells Char that as a baby, Char's body was inhabited by this thing called the changeling. And changeling is basically this mischievous type spirits that can inhabit a person's body. She was basically possessed as a baby. I don't know how you would measure that. I mean, it's a baby. Babies always seem like they're possessed, but her body was inhabited by this changeling, and the it was it was casted out, and now the changelings are back, and now this time they want Angela. And if they get Angela, they're going to try to get Char again. So, basically, Grandma's a witch. So, that's that's cool. Um, so, they go, to, they go to Angela's room, and <laughs> the door's locked. It's like, Grandma, give me the key and open the door. You're like, give me the key so I can open the door. Grandma's like, look, what is in that room is not your mother. Now, you have to believe me. I'm not going to open that door until you tell me that you believe me. And, of course, Char's like, uh, I believe you. And then she goes in there, and Angela's tied to the bed by her wrist, just like Char saw in her dream. Once they get in there, like Char's like, I'm going to fucking untie her. This is, this is nonsense. You can't tie someone to a fucking bed against their will. So she unties one of Angela's hands. 
and Angela, Angela's getting loose, and then Char like turns and looks at the the mirror on the vanity and on the other side of the room, and she can see Angela's face, and it's like the face from the dream. It's that creepy, fucking, like that creepy grimming, like grinning face with like the butthole eyes and the sewn mouth. And now it's like, oh, bitch, you fucked up. You fucking let the goddamn demon loose. Angela comes in the hallway to confront Granny. And she tells Char, like, it's time for you to go to bed. So basically, like, throws her in a room, locks the door. Char can't get out. And she can hear Angela and Granny fighting in the hallway. So it cuts to the next morning. And Char comes out of her room. And Granny is in the living room sat in a chair, and she's dead. Granny's dead, and Char's like, what the fuck, to her mom, right? And she's like, and and, (laughs) and Angela's like, I'll uh, I'll call an ambulance. So she walks out of the room and calls an ambulance, and Char walks over and is like, what the fuck happened? And like Char, like, or Angela rather, like coughs blood into her hand. And it looks like there's a fucking tooth in it or something. And doorbell rings. And it's Suzanne at the door. And Suzanne sees Angela and is like, she's like, "Uh, Mom, I'm going to go out with Suzanne. And Angela's like, no, I think you'd rather, I think you should stay here with me. And (laughs) Suzanne's like, oh, shit. Uh, yeah, we should probably get the fuck out of here. And um, so Char and Suzanne like just run. They just fucking run away from the house, and and Char uh, runs outside after them. And uh, but she can't really run, right? Because she fucking did the crazy dance and broke her ankle. So now we're at Suzanne's house, and like Char can't go home. Okay. Uncle Aaron is in the fucking hospital, all OD'd and unconscious and fucked up. Grandma's dead, and her mom is insane and dangerous, so she can't go home. And so she has nowhere to go. And Suzanne uh, was basically like, well, you can't stay here. And they, they sort of established that, like, like Char's family has like some creepy fucked up history. Like their family's kind of seen as as this weirdo family that like other families don't want to associate with. So Suzanne's like, look, you can't stay here. And she's like, well, where am I supposed to go? And, and fucking Char's like, or or Suzanne's like, I don't fucking know. So now Char has nowhere to fucking go. Her mom's fucking possessed by a changeling and grandma's dead. Like it's just a fucking nightmare. And around this time, Angela is beginning her transformation process. Like, her skin is starting to turn, and it looks like it's heavily covered in a rash, and her hair is starting to fall out and shit. It's very reminiscent of, like, uh, Jeff Goldblum and The Fly. You know, it's very, it's very grotesque. So Charge uh, tells Suzanne basically like, look, my mom's possessed. And the only way we can save her is to get her near some fire 
because fire will drive out the thing that's possessing her body. So uh, Suzanne's like, all right, cool, I'm down. Let's fucking do this thing. So Angela is like limping through the streets looking like a fucking crazy person screaming at children. And I believe she ends up at Suzanne at the front of Suzanne's house. And then there's this great confrontation thing where Angela shows up and then Char is like across the street and is like, like, Hey, are you looking for me? And then fucking, it's like they have this, like the standoff and then it pauses for a second and then it just cuts to, they're already in full chase mode and Char is running through the same alley, running through the alley so she can hop over the wall because they have, they want to lead Angela over the wall to where they have constructed this giant, uh, like, pyramid of pallets, right, for the bonfire. They're like, if we can get her uh, in the fire, it'll drive out the fucking spirit. So, but we gotta, we gotta make her chase us. So Char gets to the where the bonfire is, and it's it's not lit yet, right? But she gets to where the uh, where the bonfire is supposed to be, and Suzanne's supposed to be there. She's not there, but you know who is there? The fucking bully girls and their shitty friends. And now they're really pissed. Now they're like, like bitch. Now you're ours. So they. They also have, like, a couple of their friends are, like, these just kind of, like, shithead boys that don't have any lines. So they're just, like, throw that bitch inside of the fucking pallet pyramid. So they put Char in there, and then they're going to fucking light Char on fire. They're, like, covering it with some kind of accelerant. Maybe it's gas or whatever. But they're basically like, yeah, we're going to light this bitch on fire. It was kind of funny because, like, the the main bully girl's going, like, <laughs> I'm going to light this bitch on fire. And and Char's inside this, like, little pyramid structure made out of pallets, and she can't get away. And the and the mean girl is, like, fidgeting with, like, like a hairspray can and a lighter. But the way she's, like, trying to light the lighter, it's just like, <laughs> it just looks fucking stupid. And they probably should have taken a second take on that. But, um before she can light the fire, Angela appears and is like, Char. And, and at this point, like all of her fucking hair is falling out and her eyes are like buttholes and her fucking mouth looks all creepy and shit. And she's all, she looks like a fucking zombie. She looks like Gollum or some shit. And the bully girls are like, what the fuck is that? And they just fucking take off. They just run. And, at this point, Angela is, like, in full transformation. She looks fucking creepy and fucked up, and she's basically, she's turned into a changeling. Like, there is no more Angela. Angela is gone. This creature is now taken over Angela's body, and, yeah, the whole thing. Hair gone, butthole eyes, and she ends, now, and Char's stuck inside of this fucking structure, so she fucking the the changeling opens up the fucking thing and goes inside. So now she's trapped inside of this fucking pyramid structure of uh, pallets with this fucking monster. And 
it'd be one thing if the monster was like growling and snorting and shit, but it's like still has Angela's voice, like, "Hello, honey. Like, why not? Let me go take you to take you to the other side to see your mother." <laughs> it's oh god, it's creepy. And fucking uh, fuck, finally, fucking uh, Suzanne shows up and throws the can of hairspray and the lighter to fucking Char. I don't know how she got it. I mean, she wasn't with the bully girls to begin with. So, I don't, Anyways, maybe she had her own. Who knows? So she fucking throws the hairspray and the lighter into the structure and Char picks it up. She's about to fucking torch this fucking creature and the cre- the changeling turns back into Angela and Angela's like, honey, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? Like, I'm your mother. And then fucking... I don't know. This was kind of corny for this movie, but I was like, I was, I was, I was with it by the time it happened. And she said, you are not my mother. And then fucking torches this thing. The fucking changeling sets on fire. She's trapped inside the fight. Like Char sneaks out of the fucking pyramid structure, traps the fucking changeling in there. And the thing just burns up in the fucking, uh, in the fucking bonfire. The demon is uh, has been defeated. The changeling is is dead. We cut to what is probably the next day, the next morning, and like the police are out looking for Angela because they just think she disappeared. And obviously, Char wasn't like, "Oh yeah, I I lit my mother on fire and she burnt to death." Also, uh, good news: Uncle Aaron made it home. So now they're like explaining the police are explaining all this to fucking Aaron. Aaron just got out of the hospital and they're like, yeah, your sister's fucking missing. We think she was burnt to death in a bonfire, but we can't find a body inside of the fire. So we're, we're looking for her. And Aaron's just like, all right. And the police are like, we'll send over some child protective service people. And it's a whole fucking thing. So, and then right at that moment, there's a knock on the door. And who is it? It's Angela. And she's all covered in soot. And shit. And Char opens the door as if she knew like Angela was going to come back. So once the demon, once the changeling has been driven away and Angela is now, she's now uh, free of this, this thing that possessed her. And then she came home. She comes in the door. Her and Char hug. And then we kind of. We kind of jump forward in time a little bit where it looks like they're probably going to, um, there looks like they're going through granny stuff. And I don't know if they're if they're moving or if they're going to like throw away grandma shit, but Char's going through grandma stuff. And there's the, the book from the beginning of the movie that has all the fucking changeling, uh, kind of incantations and all these things in this book. It's, It's basically like the Necronomicon, but, but in a good way, instead of a bad way. And um, Char keeps Granny's book. Uh, Char even makes one of those little, uh, one of those little stick and leaf balls that are like made for protection for her mom. And she got her mom back. You know, Grandma's dead, but she has her she has her mom back. Uncle Aaron's cool, and um, she's now fortified. She's a stronger, tougher person now, and. She sort of now is the next generation of 
of women who now possess this knowledge in case these these entities come back and want to fuck with them ever again. So, nice story arc. Shar's uh, the hero at the end and and gets her family back. And that's the end of You're Not My Mother. And I liked it a lot. I liked um, I liked going back and seeing all the kind of little hidden Easter egg shit in there. Like, there's a lot of Celtic uh, symbolism in this movie, such as, um, like, I noticed on the door of the kitchen, there was this thing that I had to look up. It was it's called a a Brigid's Cross, and 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 Brigid's Cross is designed to, for whatever reason, it's primarily put in people's kitchens, and it's made to, it's designed to keep evil spirits, demons away. Yeah, and those things are kind of sprinkled all over the movie. So I, I went down a, a Celtic uh, symbolism rabbit hole a little bit last night, but I'm not going to get too much into that. I find it fascinating. You know, it was a it was a nice, it was fun looking at another, um, another peoples, another country's sort of folklore and culture, and I I find that really interesting. Even people who are not particularly religious people. Like looking into like local folklore, even in America, is interesting. You know, there's sort of these these stories that are passed on, these sort of cautionary tales and stuff. Or I find them pretty cool, and they they're great for they're great for making horror movies. So, yeah, that was you are not my mother, and I definitely recommend it. I like it. It's not like the greatest horror movie of all time. It's probably not even the greatest folk horror movie of all time, but I, I thought it was well-made. It wasn't too showy. It wasn't dumb. Thank God. It wasn't, you know, overly gory or anything, anything like that. It, it had a lot of, uh, you know, had a lot of psychological horror that was done well. And, um, the end was okay. I, I found it to be a little bit hokey. It kind of felt like it felt like the end of A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, where, if you haven't seen that movie, by the way, it's, it's a really good movie. <laughs> people, like, shit on that movie, but I, like, people shit on Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 the same way they shit on, like, Night- Friday the 13th Part 5. Like, I love Part 5. It's great. So it's, it's weird. Like, I, it's like, I know Jason Voorhees isn't in it or anything like that, but the movie itself I find enjoyable. But, Yeah. Check it out. It's pretty good. Also, check out Reform School Girls. Um, I know I wasn't, you know, I, I know I didn't give the most thorough uh, review of Reform School Girls, but, you know, it's a campy women in prison movie. You know, it's like, you know, uh, the big birdcage or something like that, but with like an 80s kind of rock and roll John Waters like trashiness to it. Yeah. What else? Yeah, to you know, check out Josh Barnett's uh, Bloodsport and uh, GCW if you want to, if you're uh, into wrestling and um, you want to see something that's a little bit different. Okay. Anyway, uh, that's it for me, guys. Thank you very, very much for listening. I appreciate it. If you would like to recommend any movies to me, uh, I did get some recommendations recently, and I will eventually do another. Um, another episode where 
I take suggestions from the listeners. So uh, look forward to that in the near future. You can uh, get in touch with me on Instagram. I'm at skeleton underscore factory on the Instagram. I'm going to take off. This is Adam rescuing your movie night one movie at a time until next time y'all bye bye